Blog Talk Radio. Your groove mistress, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP. I'm just happy to have you here and happy to be here with you. Thanks to everybody that's been subscribing on different platforms. You know, if you listen live, you listen live on Blog Talk Radio where you can subscribe there as well. And if you are listening live, all you have to do, there's a, up at the top left, there's an azalea colored rectangular box. And in white, I believe it says follow. Just click the button, and I think you're um, about halfway there. Um, or whether you're on Stitcher, Apple, we're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Well, I say we, it's me, but it's me and you and the guest. Um, wherever you listen to podcasts, thank you so much for uh, for following, listening, sharing, for leaving reviews because um, – Yesterday, I, I was checking uh, the stats, and it's like the numbers just like way up, and I just thought, okay, well, everybody likes the guest, um, and we've had some great ones. Uh, it has just been so much fun with um, the people we've had on and the way the audience has reacted to them, and let's see, who did we have? Uh, oh, last night was Chris White, musician. Uh, and songwriter Chris White, he was one of the original zombies, you know, time of the season zombies. In fact, he wrote the song, if you remember the song, I Love You. By the and his wife, Viv Boucherat, was on a few weeks ago. She's also a musician, sang on some of the early zombies albums, and she has a new book out of, of her art. But um, And did a lot of the art on the zombies albums and so forth. But um, Chris, his son, found about started going through stuff and found a whole bunch of songs like and by a whole bunch we mean close to 800 songs that Chris had written and maybe done a little with but just kind of forgot about and so he's putting those out in the CDs I think they're on the fifth one now but it's called the Chris White Experience so it was so great to have Chris on last night and um, let's see we recently had who oh Grammy award-winning sax player Dave Cos and speaking of Dave Cos um, I know he's covered some songs by Franny Goldie. I know some people have been listening to that episode when Franny Goldie was on. Uh, Franny Goldie, award-winning songwriter. Uh, she wrote Don't You Want Me for Jody Watley. She wrote uh, Christina Aguilera's so Emotional, Night Shift for the Commodores, Selena's Dreaming of You, but and Pussycat Doll Stick With You. But people were asking me about, wasn't she on and didn't she offer something? Uh, a discount. Yes, she has a clothing store, a clothing business now. She's a designer, and some of her clothes have been on Oprah Magazine and brought on The View, uh, not because she's paid for it, but because Oprah's 
a style advisor, Adam Glassman, thinks they're fantastic. He calls the pants the magic pants. Uh, but if you go on our website, Franny Goldie, F-R-A-N-N-E-G-O-L-D-E.com, go to her website. And if you buy any of the clothes and just put in, uh, when you get ready to check out, M-P-S, the initials for Madame Perry Salon, uh, we're going to give you a nice discount. So uh, and if you don't get that, some people listen where they're driving or running, just, just message me here on Facebook, and I'll let you know. Oh, and last week, let's see, we had Tina McElroy-Ansa, filmmaker and author. Uh, she also created the Sea Island uh, Writers Group, and we talked with her new book uh, about her new book, The um, Meeting at the Table. And the next night, uh, Tuesday, we had Dr. Sheena Howard and her book, which is actually a compilation that she or anthology she contributed to and edited. It's called Why Wakanda Matters, and it's a magnificent book. Dr. Houston is also, you know, she's got two books on comics. One's the Encyclopedia of Black Comics, and she was the first black woman to win an Eisner Award. I think the Eisner Award is pretty much like the Oscar of comics. Thrilled to have Dr. Howard, as well as Tina McElroy Ansa on last week. And see, am I the luckiest gal or what? Because I am just so grateful all the people who say yes or whose uh, publicists or managers call and say they want to be on the podcast, and it, it just absolutely delights me because of you. Thanks. Now, tonight's guest, I think he just wheeled into the genie bottle just a moment ago. Um, I thought I saw him flying through the air on his, his whatever. I don't know if it was a little flying saucer, if it was the Mars rover, or if it was just an engine that fell off of the uh, United plane. But he's a journalist, and he's uh, well-known to a lot of people, especially if you read Atlanta Magazine and other uh, magazines and such uh, very, very interesting fellow, but he wrote a book about a longtime friend of his, uh, beloved and uber-talented musician, Colonel Bruce Hampton, the music and mythography, um, excuse me, the music and mythocracy of Colonel Bruce Hampton, a basically true biography. So let me welcome the author of this fabulous, and it's a hot, brand new book, hot off the press now, Jerry Grillo. Jerry, welcome to Madame Perry's Salon. Sit down. Get comfortable. <clears throat> okay. Let me just, uh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Thank you. You are quite welcome. How you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling really good. Thanks for having, having me on, uh, JP. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, I'm delighted. And my, uh, my assistant had something to say, too. Has the mission been completed? You know that I have the greatest enthusiasm for it. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. I guess that's a special (laughs) message to you. I don't know. (laughs) I just don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think I want to be Frank Poole in that scenario. Let me just put it that way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got to leave that where it is. Uh, So congratulations. Your book is just fresh out. The music and mythocracy. Thank you, thank you. Game. Actually, Go ahead. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's um, coming out April first, so it seems like April Fool's Day is the perfect time for this kind of book. <laughs> I do believe the Colonel would approve. And you have been—you are a longtime friend 
of Hampton? Well, you know, it's I guess it's relative and depending on how how old uh, you are. For for young people like you and I, yes, it would be a long time. I knew Bruce about 10, 11 years, um, you know, so I didn't unfortunately know Bruce back in the day, which is what made this book a lot of fun to research. I got to meet a lot of Bruce's old friends, musicians, people who, you know, you and I have listened to forever. And um, so that was part of the real pleasures of of this. And of course, Bruce was was really good about sharing uh, like phone numbers. He'd say, call this guy or call this person. He's got stories, you know, so, you know, you had that, that made it really easy. You know, the thing pretty much everybody knows, um, Bruce Hampton was a musician, one of his first well-known bands, the Hampton Grease Band, uh, then the Aquarium Rescue Unit, all top-notch players. One of his, uh, I think one of his musicians who had worked with uh, Captain Beefheart, and with Frank Zappa, that's Denny Wally, uh, says yes. he was like, I think, was, was Denny Wally the one that called him the uh, Frank Zappa of the South? He Well, Denny definitely compared Bruce to uh, Frank Zappa. I don't know that he was the first one to call him that, but I've heard that too. Bruce was often compared to uh, Zappa and called like the, yeah, the Southern Fried Frank Zappa. And um, <laughs> Denny... Yeah, you know, I mean, it was, but he was so, but he was so Bruce too, right? I mean, maybe, maybe Frank was the uh, Californian Bruce, but like, but you know, he, um, he had that sort of sense of the way he uh, started a band, and I think, and the freedom that he gave his musicians, and that was a comparison that Denny had that was kind of cool, having played with both Beefheart and um, uh, you know Don Van Vliet and uh, and Frank Zappa. So that was kind of cool. He brought that perspective. He played with Bruce a few times, mainly the last few years of Bruce's life, although Denny and Bruce probably crossed each other's paths numerous times going back to the 60s and 70s. They just didn't know each other. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, – uh, is Denny still playing now? Have you seen him lately? I haven't seen Denny lately, but, you know, keep up on social media like I guess everybody else these days. But mm-hmm. I haven't actually seen Denny since um, it was really <laughs> – Jennifer was a few weeks after Bruce died, so mm-hmm. almost four years. It it would have been sometime in May 2017 I saw Denny playing at the Vista Room. And, um, you know, that was – Golly, it seems like a, a hundred years ago now. But yeah, he was playing with Bruce's old band. They had a, a standing gig at the Vista Room in Decatur, and some of Bruce's oh, really? uh, former bandmates played. Yeah, it was a really cool little little spot. Um, you're probably yeah. familiar with it. And yeah, um, been there. Yeah, th- Thursday night gig for I don't know how long, maybe uh, several months. Uh, Bruce's last band. Yeah, the last time I saw Denny was at Denny and his wife. We were at um, term, uh, what's it called? The um, Terminus West, Terminal West, for yes. um, Adrian Ballou. Ooh, what a show, and, man! Yeah, yeah, good. And I was wanted to get uh, Adrian's wife was trying to set him up to be on the show, but then he had this thing with Pixar. But his bass player Julie Slick was on, and she'll come back. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I hope you can get Denny on. I would love to. I've asked him over and over. Okay, twice, over and over. Yeah. 
he's yeah that that would be you know that's another one that we'll all tune into yeah denny's got some stories and and some that he can share on radio i'm sure <laughs> okay so let's talk about so back to bruce hampton give us just the for just in case there is someone who has been living in a commune or something that doesn't know who he is maybe they've been off in a I don't know, some kind of a, of a retreat of silence in a monastery that don't know who he is. Although there is a monastery <laughs> in the story, and I do know that. But um, just, would you just give just a, a simple just a introduction sure. to uh, the, who he is? Some of the Bruce, uh, Bruce Cripp notes, or Bruce, uh, I guess it would be Bruce 99, you know. It would be the, uh, before, we, before we graduate to the freshman class, the, this would be the remedial version. But yeah, Bruce Hampton, you know, an Atlanta institution, I think it's interesting by design. I think Bruce flew under a lot of radars because he was, um, it seems as if he'd get close enough to what we think of maybe a success to touch it. And then he'd do something to, uh, you know, to sort of change that. Like as Jeff Mosier says, he'd shake up the Etch-A-Sketch and create a new band. So Bruce was a band leader. For you know, for listeners who don't know much, who haven't heard much about Bruce, he was a great band leader for many years. He started out as the lead singer for, as you said, the Hampton Grease Band was his first full-time musical gig. Before that, he used to play with the or sing with the uh, um, the Four of Nine, which was sort of a precursor to the Grease Band. Bruce and Harold Kelling were both in that band, and they were the co-founders with Glenn Phillips of the Hampton Grease Band in 67. And they became sort of a, uh, a local, you know, they were like, I kind of look at them as the people's band in Atlanta. I mean, they were um, of Atlanta. They were local guys. Um, if they hadn't been born here, they had, you know, spent their childhoods here. Um, they knew the city. They knew the strip, the, you know, the little miniature Haight-Asbury kind of scene in Atlanta. And, um, and so they were sort of pioneering, um, a pioneering band in that they were the first to play free shows in Piedmont Park. And this was a very democratic kind of band in a sense. Um, you know, it was called the Hampton Grease Band, named after Bruce, and partially because they didn't want to uh, be uh, confused with the Grease Band, which was Joe Cocker's band at the time. That's one of the stories. So they, called, they named it after Bruce. And Bruce, of course, was the front man. But I guess if there was a leader of the band, it'd be hard to say. Maybe Harold Kelling, who was the older guy in the band, the guy who sort of was the musical guru. And they were a hit for, you know, four or five years in Atlanta. People who saw them, people, maybe people listening now, you know, who saw them would have some great stories. Um, I, there's a lot that's coming out now, by the way. I don't want to get too far off, off track, but there's a lot more coming out now about um, the Hampton Grease Band, and I think we're going to be seeing some really neat stuff. Keep our eyes open for for some more cool stories about that band. But they were a seminal band, and when they broke up, you know, uh, first Harold left, um, and then Bruce left to try out for for Frank with Frank Zappa, the aforementioned and guy who was very influential for him. He didn't make that cut, uh, but he he proceeded from there to become a band leader and and create and then destroy band after band um, <laughs> until, it, and as you mentioned, I think uh, culminating with his greatest band, his, I call it the masterpiece in my own opinion, uh, the, um, the Aquarium Rescue Unit, 
you know, and that was late eighties, early nineties when those guys got going. Yeah. And <laughs> so. what a lineup too. I mean, you know, it, it's the oh, kind yeah. of thing where if once you've seen them, you know, once you've heard them, even just listen to them or watch the video, if you didn't get to see them live, you knew this was something that you may not ever find anything exactly like this again. No, Maybe. no I agree. No. There's, they're, um, they're unique, and it's interesting. They, um, I guess that's a great example of a band that shows what one of Bruce's uh, superpowers, uh, if you if you will, I guess you'd consider it a superpower. He was a great facilitator of genius. You know, he would he'd find these incredible players. You know, this free range talent, and um, you know, and he'd give them this this that became free range talent under his his uh, supervision. You know, go crazy, play how you feel, be honest about it. Um, he gave them a lot of freedom, of course. But then they got great gigs. He, he always considered himself a minor league baseball manager. You know, he was, he's with these guys at a younger time in their lives, and then they go on to either start their own bands or, or to play with the Allman Brothers for, for a long time or, the, or different versions of The Grateful Dead, um, Widespread Panic, right? So he really was a, a boot camp for a lot of, a lot of great musicians. And, um, and it's just kind of interesting to see where all these fellows have gone. But, of course, he kept going long, long after he quit Aquarium Rescue Unit. He kept going. And, and I, don't en- you know, I don't enter his world until one, several bands later, the Quark Alliance, if you remember them. I, mm-hmm. That's the first time I saw Bruce. And just the more I got to know him, you know, and learn about his career and the many different um, lives that he touched, you know, the different uh, musicians that he influenced and all. It, it's just, it was impossible not to be interested, you know, and he, he, he was just a real compelling kind of guy. And I think anybody who ever met him, you, you've met him, Jennifer. I mean, did he guess your mm-hmm. birthday? I'm curious. No, he did not. And I did not know he had that skill until I read your book, but no. He oh, cool. Not. Yeah. He, he had an uncanny talent for guessing people's birthdays. And yeah, I know he got it wrong on plenty of occasions too, but my own experience in the years that I knew him, um, I rarely saw him get it wrong. And maybe once, I mean, he, he got it right with me, got it right with um, with my wife, with people, you know, he'd never met. And I'd seen this happen over and over. In fact, I've seen him with a really dear friend of mine who was, he got, he asked Bruce, he says, I've been watching you. And he knew Bruce for years, since the Grease Band days. I've been watching you for decades, Bruce. You never guessed my birthday. Will you do it now? And this is at Smith's Old Bar. And Bruce says, it doesn't work that way. Goes back to eating his food because you asked. You know, and so my <laughs> friend was disappointed. After the show, several hours later, he just the, we go back to the green room and he points at my friend and he guesses his birthday. Bill Cochran, Leo. And he it gets his birthday I'm, the first guess, and um, <laughs> which I guess is not a guess if you know, right? Yeah. So anyway, he and it made it made Bill's you know month. It was uh, it was a beautiful thing. But so I saw Bruce do that to a number of people. That that I, I think that I have never heard of anyone. I've heard of a lot of things, as have you, but I have never heard anyone with that kind of gift. Ever. Yeah, he was, um, he truly, he did have a gift. Um, I think that, um, you know, he could have been a magician if he had chosen to go that route. 
he was a you know a comedian for a while and just a real performance artist and and he you know he used to refer to himself as a vocal expressionist you know um as opposed to a singer and sometimes an anti-musician you know um and he he used to joke about how the the most boring thing in the world is a serious musician right and he kind of tongue-in-cheek in a sense too because he also surrounded himself with these seriously great musicians <laughs> and I think he was you know whatever he was trying to take them out of their, their own heads I think most of the time and and just uh you know play how you feel that was kind of an interesting thing I heard him say once if you feel like shit play like shit you know that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> okay hey this <laughs> This is a good chance to stop and say, if you're listening to us live tonight, and this is March the 2nd, 2021, about 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time, GMT minus 5, and you want to talk to Jerry Grillo, maybe you knew Bruce, maybe you had a question about Bruce, maybe you have an experience or something, uh, you can call and talk to Jerry. The number is 646-716-9922. Again, Six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Blog Talk Radio assures me it's a free call in the continental U.S. And for people who have maybe some kind of a pesky job where they can't make phone calls or stuff, or they got to be quiet, you can always send me, as usual, a message on Facebook, either through Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Maudet Perry, and I will be happy to share that with Jerry Grillo. Yeah, the uh, book is hot. I mean, it's fresh. It's, he said the release date's April 1st. I don't know did if, whose idea that was, if it was yours. Uh, it was through the, it, it's uh, published through University of Georgia Press. It may have been theirs. It may have been Bruce's. We never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, um, it, it has, it's interesting. There has um, <laughs> the weird things that we sort of latch on to, I guess, that our egos latch on to. But like, when I found out the book was like on websites, uh, like the, the the publisher had started putting it out on websites for pre-orders, and um, I didn't know initially, and I just sort of found out by accident. And I saw it on um, one of the websites, you know, one of the booksellers, and um, and it was the t- it, I put the word out on Facebook and Twitter, and it be that day it was the top selling or the top pre-ordered book for music, right? And that, and I was like, wow, look, that's going to be my claim to fame, Jennifer. On my, on my tombstone, if I have one, it's going to say he, for a day he had the, the top-selling music book for seven and a half minutes on this website. That's, that's, at least that's my goal. <laughs> oh, yeah, everybody's pushed it. You know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, everyone's out there. And, and hey. I know. Um, I'm excited. Um I think Bruce would be excited and and amused, you know, uh, I really do. We started on, here's the funny thing, okay? I met him in 2007 at a small uh, festival, music festival up here where I live, which is in Saltina Coochie, which is, you know, the center of the known universe. And it's a beautiful little unincorporated place. And we used to have this uh, terrific music festival, a two-day thing, um, called the Saute Jamboree. And Bruce's band often was, you know, on the bill, along with a few other, like Jeff Mosier. He's actually, Jeff is actually, you, you might know Jeff, but he's a longtime great Atlanta musician and um, a banjo player and singer, songwriter. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, he kind of brought Bruce up. Sorry? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I know I first met Jeff through um, the track, uh, not Trackside Tavern, the other room, the deep, uh, freight room, freight room. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Jeff, yeah. right, Jeff has played all over uh, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just, well, really, Jeff always, even before he knew Bruce, he was out, he was making music. But Bruce is sort of like his, his great influence, uh, you know, as an artist. And um, he, he, can t- he can tell you a lot better than, than I can. But he brought Bruce up this way. And like I said, I just started getting to know him. And I'd been a journalist writing about people doing work for years because <laughs> so, it beats real work. And so I, so, uh, I just thought he, I love Bruce's work. You know, I thought, wow. Um, after several years, I got the guts to ask him um, to say, hey, can I, you know, do you, can I work on a book about you? And, you know, would you help? And, and he was just all about it. He was very, he was, yeah, he acted like he was waiting for the question. I was wondering when you were going to ask, you know, in that deep voice of his. I'm like, uh, should I be scared now? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a good, that's, that's a good place for me to go next because I was going to ask you, now I know you were friends. I know you had, you know, your weekly lunch dates and so forth. And I was going to ask you why, why are you the best person to write the book? And why is this, is this the first book about Bruce? But also, um, I'd like for you to tell, just just tell the uh, anecdote about, mention something about a book to Bruce, and he said, yes, yeah, somebody else tried one, but it was awful. Oh, right. I love this. Yes, yes. He was trying to, I think, yeah, it was kind of like the the, the Bruce um, litmus test or something. He's putting you through the <laughs> test. But basically, I, w- I asked him, um, you know, after he said, sure, um, he kind of gave me a warning, too, because I asked him, you know, I, why didn't anybody, hasn't anybody else written about you? You've been performing, at least in Atlanta, nobody's written a book. He says, well, one guy tried, and I hated it. And uh, he says uh, it was filled with all kinds of nonsense about aliens and flying waffles in the sky and tennis rackets with eyes and, you know, and aliens and all this other mumbo jumbo. It was garbage. And I'm like, oh, no, I said, you're not going to get that from me. I'm a serious journalist. You know, I, I write about real people's work and uh, yada, yada. I'm going to do the research <laughs> and so on. And he says, oh, okay, well, great. Come on over um, to the house and we'll, we'll start doing the interview. So we go over to the house. And the first thing he goes off on, he says, well, let me tell you about the aliens and the, uh, and the tennis rackets <laughs> I saw in the sky. So I'm like, okay. You know, he was just always pulling your leg in a way. But, I mean, he was real – he wasn't being Colonel Bruce. He was being. He was still being Bruce, and he was doing that. <laughs> so um, yeah. So he had me hooked. He had yeah. me hooked. But the. But I think the best. Re- honestly, the best reason why. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm the best person, but the reason why I'm. The, I think I'm the best person, or at least the only person, is because I asked him. You know, um, the main reason is I asked him, and he was open to that, and. Um, and, you know, he, I had been doing this kind of work for a long time anyway, not books, but, you know, writing about people and different profiles of different people, whatever, you know, business and politics, sports, and that kind of thing for newspapers, magazines, and all that. And he had seen some of it and, uh, and all that, and he knew that I'd done some plays and stuff, and he was kind of into that, the fact that there was just all this broad experience and 
all this writing and all. And anyway, he was open to it. And um, yeah, and we just started going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> but it was it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And um, and at first it was all about the fun. And uh, honestly, Jennifer was like, I was serious about doing the book, but I was having so much fun collecting stories. Um, it felt like I was working on a, um, uh, you know, an oral history, that kind of thing. And and so anyway, at some point it got to where I better sit down and write. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, yeah, and we're glad you did when you did. I have uh, was going to play. Um, I was going to play just a little clip. It's, it's got nothing to do with. Uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, but this is just something to take a short break so that if you need to get a, another glass of water or a cup of coffee or whatever, you can. It's okay. Not. But, uh, and also, anybody that wants to ask a question, because um, phone lines are open, 646-716-9922, and I know that I told Mr. Jerry Grillo to share the number with his friends, fans, shills, whatever, to call in, but you know, I gotta tell you something. I gotta tell you about about my audience. I've been doing this podcast. Um, I don't know, maybe four or five, six years or something. And they've left reviews like this, and they and they've always told me they say if it's somebody famous they've heard of, like Dave Koz or somebody, it's great. They're excited. But if it's somebody they've never heard of, whether it's author, musician, uh, anthrozoologist, NASA JPL expert. If somebody they've never heard of, they'll still listen, and they'll usually go ahead and find out more about than I know before they come on. So, uh, and then then they don't call, and then later they say, "Well, I wish you'd ask them this now." So, why didn't you call? Because I was really enjoying listening, and they were they were actually listening and send me all the questions after the show. So, here's your chance to talk to Jerry Grillo, because uh, I've got a great great audience. Here's your chance to talk to Jerry. He'll be right back in one minute. So, Chuck, talk to us about Fisdale being the Knicks' new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well, I'll I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who's going to coach this team. They don't got no talent on we it. And I don't, I don't really feel I talk That's kind of harsh. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right Do now. Do you want to talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See, Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madame Perry's Salon. And I think Jennifer Perry... She's a great host. I mean, she got all these bestseller authors, Rostar, all the dip comedians. What about people you that could, don't have rings? Here we go again. Real fun, <laughs> Real fun. Real <laughs> fun. But I think she's great, and I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make, The laugh come out of nowhere, like an eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. <laughs> not terrible. It's sometimes a a good, good thing. Really good. <laughs> be worse. Um, <laughs> so many questions. So talking to Jerry Grillo, author of The Music and Mythocracy of Colonel Bruce Hampton. It is available for pre-order. It's from University of Georgia Press. It's a publisher. Uh, it'll be officially published and available on April 1st, but it's already, what, the number one ranking uh, music bio book, did you tell us? It was for a couple of minutes anyway. Yeah, it was um it was for a few minutes or a day on Amazon. It uh, I I saw that they had put their little banner. I, they probably do that with every new author. Uh top 
you know, top selling book in music, you know, in the music category or whatever. And uh, so that was a nice little ego bump for a few minutes. That was, that's really cool too, though, just to know that, that like, uh, that people ordered the book, you know, that, um, <laughs> that they're actually selling the book because um, this is a first time. It's kind of exciting. Well, it's something, you know, people, um, this is a person that people are interested in. And I think one of, one of the reasons that, you know, people, his music, I mean, he's been described as almost otherworldly. I think it was, it might've been when um, uh, Chuck Lavelle, Great keyboard player and Christmas tree grower in mm-hmm. Georgia. Um, he did the the forward for you. Is that right? Yes, Chuck. Uh, Chuck knew Bruce for like fifty something years or fifty. Uh, they, you know, they met. They first met in Macon, down like in, uh, at, in Capricorn at the Capricorn offices, and so they were longtime friends and had played together a few times. And uh, so Chuck was really kind to to write the forward. I uh, he was the like the first person I thought of because um, you know I went and wrote the book and everything and and of course the publisher was like think about who you'd like to ask to do a forward and because uh, you know you don't always see that and so he I thought well God Chuck Chuck Lavelle's written books I mean he knew Colonel Bruce he's just a great guy. So he was kind to do it, and um, he wrote a beautiful uh, forward. And uh, my biggest concern was, oh, crap, I hope Chuck doesn't write the same stuff in his forward that I wrote in the book about him already, you know? So, but it was just, it was just beautiful. I, I couldn't, you know, I can't thank the man enough. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, listen, you went first class all the way on this, you know, nice publisher. They've got a publicity team. And let me tell you, I'm an entertainment publicist. That is my profession. And, no, Amazon does not do stuff like that just to make you feel good. Well, that's great. I'm glad to you hear got, that. I'm glad to you hear that. You got that, that cred, and I think, uh, it, it, I'll tell you what. I'll take it, and, uh, and I'm glad that they're selling it, and I'm glad that uh, – you know, that everybody is selling it. And I, I always say, like, when people ask where they can get it, I'm like, well, any place online that sells books, I found it in languages that I can't even understand the lettering. You know, I mean, it's so it's out there, which tells me that Colonel Bruce really did know 4% of the world's population. Because, he, cause, I mean, it's, it's available in all these booksellers around the world. So, like, you know, the, the, the Japanese version of Amazon or whatever, it's all out there. And, um, and I, that's great because I think it needs to be Bruce. Um, I would love to see, I don't know what I listen, don't get me wrong. I don't know what role this book or anything else would play, but all it takes is one lesson. You know, you listen to some of the things you talked about aquarium rescue unit. I would love to see interest in, in his music and in uh, some of his band's music, just sort of, come back and I know it's I feel like it's going to happen with the Hampton Grease Band and that it already is happening because that was a completely unique uh, set of individuals what a great band that was too and again different from every other band that Bruce that Bruce was in right I don't know that that the, any two were exactly alike right but you know there was a, um, a, another interview that I was listening to with him and he was telling the interviewer that you know it's, it's and uh, this is not a direct quote by any means, but 
it, the essence of what he was saying was that, you know, you can have people get together, you can have people know how to play, and they can have talent, or they can, you know, learn an instrument. But the point, and he would lament that so many bands don't have now when you hear the radio song, they've got to bring joy into the room. And he, that was one of the main jobs, was to fill the room and to fill people with joy. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that was his. That seemed to be his mission in life to put to put joy in the room or to put spirit in the room and um, and to you know to be intentional. Yeah, he. I think that was it. He wanted that. He used to say, uh, you know, one of his one of his litmus tests for bands too is uh, he told me, I guess it was widespread panic that he was you know watching the early versions of widespread panic and how. He says, boy, and he says, these guys, you could tell. And you, he said this, in, I think, in documentaries as well. He didn't just say this to me. But you could tell that, that they were going to make it because you could see the people standing up in the front row, knowing the words to their song, to their songs. And, uh, you know, he'd even say, say, the girls would be dancing and the, you know, and the guys would know the words and whatever. He just had this this idea of what, I think he had a good sense of what, you know what good music was he he used to joke him and um johnny knapp who is a very important person in the book but mostly in my life and i think in bruce's life too at the last few years but johnny knapp and bruce used to say two kinds of music good and bad you know <laughs> so and that was that that's how they broke it up but it was kind of funny to see the two of them together because bruce had always fostered the careers of these young musicians or had, you know, that's what he was sort of famous for. And um, here was Johnny Knapp later in, in both of their lives, you know, who was much older than Bruce. And I wouldn't say he was fostering Johnny's career, but he was just helping take it in a, in a slightly different direction at a time when, when most people are just staying home and watching Jeopardy. And nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm just saying Johnny wanted to be out playing. <laughs> Yes, he did. I um, about that time, I I took voice lessons from Johnny's wife. Oh, great! You knew Dee, yeah. yes. Yeah, Dee. So that's how I knew them. Um, but yeah, what a great guy. And I think Bruce he he could zero in on on the value and the spark of each person he met. By the way, I do have um. I do have a comment coming in from a listener, a very favorite listener of mine. Uh, she's asking, she's saying, this is a fantastic interview, but what time will the themed cocktails arrive? Um, I wasn't sure. So while I was listening to you, I was always saying, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Was it a mojito rescue unit you're looking for? Uh, a basically frightened bourbon and Coke, Brenda Morris? I don't know. So... <laughs> When are the co- yeah, well, I was going to ask you the same thing. I've been here relaxing in the salon for the last however many minutes, and I haven't been offered a drink yet. So maybe well, we Brenda's could work on gonna, that. Yeah, Brenda Morris is going to send him over, or she's going to send her husband. Thanks, with Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. You she can, can count on Brenda. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, yes, you can. Uh, uh, Five years ago, I was in the hospital for a few days and uh, just having some, you know, a women's surgery. I know guys don't like to hear about it. And uh, 
some friends came to visit one night, my best friend Kenya and uh, Brenda and Dave and my friend Ann, who I met them through Ann. Uh, Ann's husband stayed home. And so uh, we had so much fun in there. We laughed so hard. And then uh, <laughs> Ann says she goes home, and, and, and Kenya goes home, and their family's like, oh, did you go to the hospital? Oh, how was it? We, it was great. It was so much <laughs> fun. So it was a blast. <laughs> Watch out. Don't let the word get out. Yeah. You're going to see long lines now. Oh, heck yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Brenda, I think she's going to send Dave over with a little cocktail. And and I just, uh, yeah, don't don't get fussy, okay? So, yeah, that'll be good. That'll that'll loosen our tongues. We'll say all the things we're not supposed to say. And, um, you know, uh, Bruce was... uh, one thing I found that was interesting is Bruce was he he he'd have fans in these odd little pockets around the world, and um, like I want to say it was Denmark. He had these fans in Denmark, and not that Denmark is odd, but when you consider we're having a conversation in the IHOP in Lilburn, Georgia, and he's talking about yeah, I've got these fans in Denmark, and they want to bring me over to play a private like a private party. And, you know, me and a couple other guys, they're like, you mean the whole band? He says, no, just me. They're going to have a, you know, a band that are going to play behind it. So, and he says, but the problem is I have a gig in uh, Philadelphia or New York one of the, the next day. He says, and I don't know if I want to push myself that hard. And, um, and we were all, like, concerned. We were like, yeah, maybe don't do that if you don't have to. I mean. And, you know, what is what is the gig in Denmark pay? And he said, and it was some ridiculous amount for one night, you know, 5000 or something. And, and everybody's like, quiet for a minute. You can hear crickets. And, he, and, and it's so finally Johnny Knapp is like, you know, screw it. Don't do it. You know, he had that Brooklyn accent with the squeaky yeah, yeah, boy. And he's yeah. like, don't. And so, and so uh, you know, so we left lunch thinking, well, all right, well, he's going to listen to Johnny at least, and he's not going to do it. The next week we get together and he says, so let me tell you about my trip to Denmark. <laughs> and he did it in one night. He like flew to Denmark, did the gig, and then flew back to like, you know, Philadelphia the next day to do the next show. <laughs> See, but, you I, know, I, you know, I got to say, I had no idea where that was going because, because, um, part, although Bruce's life was was fascinating, and his gift, his talents, just it's hard to find a word to, to just express, you know, the, the magnificence of his work and how it affected people. And uh, in the description from the book, it says, Bruce Hampton, a chari- uh, excuse me, charismatic musical figure who launched and continued to influence the jam band genre over his 50-plus years performing part, band leader, soul singer, storyteller, conjurer, poet, preacher, comedian, philosopher, and trickster. Uh, He sought out and dealt in the weird, wild underbelly of the American South. And (laughs) uh, I get the feeling that uh, you seem to indicate somewhere that it's basically true, that there may be some things that, that, that he kind of kept you guessing on a few things. Or everybody guessing rather. Yes. Oh, yeah. That that was Bruce was the um, you know he was the master of his domain, right? He he could 
he kept you on the edge of your seat wondering what the next thing would be. And, and that was, that was smart, right? You keep people interested in your stories, but, and so, yeah, he did. He kept me guessing, everybody guessing. There were things he, you know, certainly things that he didn't want to talk about. Right. Like, like, like all of us, I guess. But then, um, he, I don't know that he that he sat down and um, charted, you know, the course that that he was going to take with each whatever with each canard or, or whatever trick that he wanted to pull. But but it would happen in the moment, and he was so creative. I wish I had this gift. He was so creative. He'd be telling a story about you know whatever gig that it was with either the Grease Band or somebody, and you might hear it three different ways. And, you know, um, they'd, each version would grow a different appendage. It was just sort of, and, you know, you didn't know which one was the accurate one. And you knew that there was some truth in all of it. But but sometimes you had to piece it all together, you know. And he didn't care because it was either the way he remembered it or the way he preferred to remember it or the way that he knew would get people on the edge of their seat listening. You know, he just, I think he had a gift. He, I think he was the classic you know, we all the classic Southern storyteller and me being, I've, I've spent most of my life in the South, though I sound, though I'm from New York. And, but I, I've been around enough porches listening to old guys talk and tell stories, you know, to, for me to recognize that Bruce had a lot of that in him, you know, that like the Kentucky Colonel, let me tell you a story, boy. (laughs) I love that. I mean, and you know, he, he was, he seemed really comfortable in that, um, you know, in that role. But he grew up most in the South, though, didn't he? So he kind of. He was, a, yeah, he, he adopted, you know, I think Bruce adopted what he knew and he, uh, what he grew up around. He was definitely a, God, a, a dis- distinctive, you know, man of the South, I would say. And um, I'm really proud that UGA Press, you know, put this book under their, section of um you know southern um basically southern music this i guess it's a, a subset of their of their books that they've created and i don't know if this is the fifth sixth or seventh one in that series but it's i'm really really proud of that it's really cool that they're focusing on that and i think it's it's their publisher's recognition of you know how important music of the south is and you know i think a number of people are coming along to write about it and there's just so many stories to tell, right? I mean, people that we there's still there's still so many stories to tell just in Georgia. Um people who um and Bruce is one. I'm glad I'm glad that they that they were interested in publishing this. I was gonna see that it got done one way or the other, but but I really wanted UGA Press to do this, Jennifer. Um I was hoping they would anyway. I wanted, you know, I was praying they would, all of that. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to them exclusively because and did you know Bruce's grandfather was the head football coach at the University of Georgia exactly a hundred years before I turned this manuscript in to Stop them? It. It, it, he, it, it, Stop he was it. the he was he was the first like yeah this guy was the real deal he was the first Vince Dooley at Georgia he was great he you know his teams were the first ones that that were like you know championship caliber. And I mean, talking back when they used to wear slabs of steak on the side of their head, you know, they didn't have much in the way of equipment. But like, this was his grandfather who became the um, the colonel, the colonel. And um, his grandfather becomes a 
you know, a military leaves football coaching to become a colonel in the, um, in the armed, armed forces. And of course, you know, very influential, influential in, in Bruce's life, this man, you know, a very important person to Bruce. And, um, but a really cool, in some ways, a cool dude, you know, I didn't know him, of course, but he, he was a, a great coach and a success and in some ways scared Bruce, but also influenced him. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm glad to be able to tell his story in here as well, just in a very small way. And in no way is it the definitive story of Bruce's grandfather, but, but I'm sure somebody at UGA has done a great football book where they talk about, you know, his exploits and everything. We get into it in the book some, but you don't want to hear that anyway, that his, yeah, his, that's why UGA press, um, for me was very important because I thought, hell, his, his grandfather was the Vince Dooley of his day. Strange facts and true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of a synchronicity, strange fact thing. Um, just perfect. Just it's like everything is falling into place and so you know the right thing. When, since you knew Bruce, since you were friends, since you had lunch together, you went to the IHOP, whatever, you, that's when you really relax, I think, and get to know people when you've, when you've done that several times, when you spend time having lunch together. And what things were you surprised to learn, either from Bruce or from friends of his? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I guess when I guess that the thing that's kind of – kind of maybe not surprising so much as sort of different you know it was definitely different from the stage persona the person you saw perform was how serious he could be you know he could sort of um he he could really get down to earth and be serious about some things like uh sports you know trivia even though it's trivia and it's trivial by nature um he could you could get into arguments about you know it was Yogi Berra not Mickey Mantle and uh, and again I don't know how serious that is but he could be serious about those things he could be serious enough about business I think um, and the business of running his band and uh, you know he was on the he was <laughs> this was kind of interesting because again when your first introduction is here he is a performer Bruce Bruce Hampton the performer is how much time he how often he was tethered to his cell phone, right? It was, um, it was hilarious because he was always looking up facts and, or looking up numbers or whatever. I mean, he was very uh, serious about numbers, um, you know, how to manipulate them, use them. He remembered them. I mean, that was part of his gift, I think. Uh, but uh, I guess that was part of it. And, too, how real he can be. You know, he could just be down to earth um, and talk about day-to-day business of you know whatever i have to go drive and pick up the laundry or whatever <laughs> but it was still always funny still somehow he would get in we it seems like at some point especially if it was a large enough crowd not that he was performing but you know everybody's trying to get a word in edgewise and uh he'd be able to do that really well you know especially with something goofy or with some crazy trivia baseball trivia question you know um and, or the Zambi salute, you know, and, and especially if Zambi was there, if Joe Zambi was there, it was like watching um, Felix and Oscar from The Odd Couple do a routine. It was great. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, tell, tell us about um, the, the, uh, 
Zambi, the the uh, the, uh, the spiritual movement, the faith. Right. Yeah. Zambi is um Zambi was the is sort of the uh, philosophy religion that um that Bruce built um and based around his friend Joe Zambi. Now Joe Zambi is Zambi with an I E at the end, and Zambi the the religion doesn't have the E at the end, and um and uh you know. Bruce was inspired by Joe because because Joe's a very even keeled person. Joe's a very he's a brilliant person. You know he was like I think a chemist for many years. Um, he was in the military. Um, the real nice guy and and about sometimes could be as serious as Bruce could be funny. And so they were a great. They played off each other really well. And and Joe had really funny insights and was a a fun foible. I think he'd be the first one to tell you. Bruce loved to pick on him, but then Joe liked to turn it around and beat Joe, and beat Bruce at checkers or chess or something. So that they had the perfect relationship, perfect odd couple relationship. And um, Bruce just, you know, Zambi was something that he built upon uh, previous stuff. I've read, um, you know, from other writers, better writers than me, talking about Greece, you know, from the Hampton Greece band and how that sort of evolved to become Zambi, that kind of thing as sort of a philosophical, you know, construction <laughs> to, to pursue music. And it's hard for me to put into words, but a lot of it is about um, playing w- without ego and, um, you know, embracing the moment if you want to get serious about it. But Bruce would also blame a lot of things on Zambi. So if he didn't want to talk about something, sometimes, yeah, I'd say like, so Bruce, uh, tell me about the lyrics and, um, you know, no egos underwater or whatever. And he'd say, uh, uh, Zambi did it, you know, <laughs> he would just, he'd sort of blame Zambi. And, um, and, and Joe has always been, he's funny. The real Zambi Joe is just great. He's always just got this very, very deadpan, um, but really good sense of humor in his own right. Um, but the two of them together were, like I said, they were a hell of a team. Something had to happen, and I guess in this case it was a religion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's see. I hope – now, actually, I did order drinks for us, and I think that our server door – and I don't have uh, – sometimes – Oh, here's mine. Wait, oh, oh, I think uh, I, sometimes I I do have a butler here. He's kind of a Peter Laurie type character, but not right now. <laughs> Let me get the door open. Let me get the door. I gotta... Okay, it's all right. Peter good. Laurie. Hi. Hi. Um, I do a I do a scary bad Peter Laurie. Okay. Well, I, I I'm looking yeah, forward to yeah. that. All right. Hi. Come on in. Did you did you, um into Madam Perry's salon? Oh, did you bring something? Okay. Maybe it's not the drinks lady, but come on into Madam Perry's salon and talk to us. <laughs> hello. Yes. Hello. Hey, it's Andy J. Hey, Andy. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, brother. Hey, you were talking about uh, lunch. I was I was at that lunch when he was talking about Denmark, actually. Yes, Phyllis. And, uh, and Andy, which side were you on? Were you telling him to go to Denmark or not go? What what side of this were you hanging on? I was. Most of the time, I was just hanging in there, hanging on to just for dear life. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, but one of the one of the funniest stories I have, I was at a, several of those lunches. Actually, I got to know Bruce from 2011 at a place called the Old Crow, and uh-huh. uh, Johnny Knapp was playing at um, the Red Light Cafe the first time I met Johnny, and he invited me to, to the lunch. Um, and he told me he's like, "There's a there's a waiting list of a hundred people, but you come anyway." <laughs> but uh, yeah. But one story. Uh, we were at lunch. Bruce was there at at uh, the Thai restaurant this time, and Zambi was there. And Bruce was giving Zambi a hard time, like just to like no end. And Zambi <laughs> finally stood. But Zambi finally stood up and he walked out. He's like, "I've had enough." And he left, and we and we were all wow. just sitting there looking at one. Another. Yeah, we were all just sitting there looking at one another, and um, and Bruce after after Zambi left, Bruce was just laughing. He's like, if he had just laughed one time, I'd leave him alone. I'd stop. He said, but he won't laugh. He won't laugh. And then uh, Zambi called me a co- yeah. Zambi called me a co- we talked a couple of days later, and he's like, you know, I love him, right, Andy? And I was like, yeah, man, I know Zambi, I know. So. That's exactly right. They, oh, Andy, that's perfect. That I, they were like Felix and Oscar to me. I mean, just they were the perfect odd couple. Yep. God, and um, Andy, um, you, you also have been helping. You've been helping out uh, Count Mbutu a lot. Um, and Jennifer, you remember Count Mbutu was one of the original. Aquarium Rescue Unit percussionists, and he he's played with Bruce and knew Bruce a long time. Um, Count Mbutu played with me. Oh, That's see, right. and oh, really? so and uh, this is good to know. Uh, you know, uh, Count is now moved, I think, closer to Atlanta. And um, he's in Lawrenceville now. Yep. Oh, good. <laughs> Close. Always but, happy uh, to hear from the old. Yeah, but he's not – that he's uh, – unfortunately, Count's not playing anymore. He's got a neurological disease, and we put together a fundraiser oh. for him um, to raise funds for him. Uh, Jerry and I actually got to go see him a couple of weeks ago. Um, but there's a, a YouTube site called Who's Down for the Count, and uh, Chuck Lavelle has put a video on there, and Derek and Susan Trucks have put a, a video on there, and we've been raising funds for the Count to, to help him in this time when he needs it. Oh yes, I'll, I'll definitely. Uh, if if you send me information about the the website or what to do, Andy, I'll happily share it on all my social media, not just for the show, but also for my business and personal. Oh yeah, I'll I'll do it. I'll send you a message on Facebook. Appreciate it. Okay. That is so cool. I I didn't know that um that the count uh, played with your band, Jennifer. Well, it was just a couple of times because I wanted to try. I, my band was doing some like some Latin, some Euro pop, 60s Euro pop, and also some. We did standards. Well, no, one drummer called us uh, the B sides of standards, and you know a lot of Lambert Hendrix or Ross and stuff. So um, I just brought him in one time. Count uh, he played with B. Is it me? My husband Denton, uh, bassist uh, David Webb. I don't know if you know Dave Webb. Um, Pretty prominent around no. Atlanta. He, he left here because he played a few years with Sugarland and toured with them. But um, and count. Wow. Countries. And you know where we played? You want you want to know what kind of fancy gig I had him at? Where? <laughs> Borders Books in Snellville on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was a nice 
that was a nice store, man. I, w- I used to go there. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Here's oh, the thing. You know, a- Andy, are you a musician too? I'm a, I'm actually the documentary, and I do I do video and photography. Oh, okay. Andy, um, you, Andy, you don't want to hear me play, and you sure don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Andy is one of the uh, photographers whose work is featured in the book. Oh, fantastic, Andy. A- so Andy's cool. a yep. Andy's a multi-talented uh, visual artist, among other. Among other things, I believe it. What else? Uh, is this your first time listening to the show, Andy? It is my first time listening to the show, actually. Okay. Well, I, I hope you'll listen but, again uh, and come back on. I like it. Yep, I will. Uh, for yeah, the Borders books. Yeah, it was a nice place to play in a Sunday afternoon, where I would always start off saying, you know, uh, hey, it's a place where the gig is lit and the customers aren't, and don't worry, we're not used to seeing you either, but. <laughs> but you, but the thing is, too, people we would also but there used to be a fancy uh, place down, um, uh, what's it called, Sambuca, down on Piedmont, and if you played okay. there, it was hard because you know they weren't very, they didn't treat the musicians very well, and they didn't pay well, and they had people sitting in front of you smoking cigars all night, so it was hard to get people to come and play for that little bit of money. But uh, coming out to Borders, where nobody's smoking, and they give you free food and coffee, and and would pay. Um, so people would say, oh, you play at Borders, that's real nice, you know, or they go, oh, you play at Sambuca, you must be good. So it's easier to get, yeah, it's easier to get, and two, it's easier to get Count Butu at a Borders where nobody's going to be smoking in his face while he's trying to play and telling them, mm. you know. You know what um, Bruce, Colonel Bruce uh, told me once, Andy, I might have told you this one, but and you, I know you've heard some of this, but, like, he told us this must have been at IHOP about how one time his band, and I can't remember which one it was, but they played at a club that Denny McLean, the, the former baseball pitcher, owned, I think in Atlanta. And uh, Denny was down on his luck or something. He didn't have whatever. He, they had to pay him in, like, roast beef. They basically oh. were paying the they were gonna pay the band. And a bunch of roast beef. And sorry, Denny, if it's not you, but this was the story that, that I was told. And I don't think, but anyway, but so the story was, Bruce was like, we had to get paid in like whatever, a couple of pounds of roast beef. And uh, he, and like the, he summed it up by saying, you know, some, sometimes you just got to take the taco. Didn't he get paid in shoes one time? What's that? What didn't he get paid in shoes one time or something? I think so. I think he probably got I paid heard in the, shoes. Yeah, somebody something. I think one time I heard that. It's like, of course, you never know <laughs> which, which 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 one was true and which one wasn't. Paid in shoes. So that's what I, made, I think that's what made those lunches last so long, brother. We'd be we'd be you know these would be these long two hour lunches. Um, it wasn't because we were getting extra eggs or anything, you know. It was we were listening to these awesome stories. <laughs> you know, you well, know. and if you were getting extra, if you were getting extra eggs, Bruce was eating them. That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> what, did he pickle them first? <laughs> or was he just oh, doing? He didn't eat it. He would take it. Oh, <laughs> he'd take it. He'd take it. And I remember Bruce dropping his um, phone. In grits twice in one lunch. 
Oh, and, man. Uh, and the second time, uh, it was one of our friends. I can't remember who it was. Uh, he said, give it to me, you know, and he, like, cleaned it off. And he was like, he turned it off and turned it back on or something. It was, But Bruce had just managed to drop it twice, which is unusual, you know, because he was pretty – you know, for a big guy, Bruce was usually pretty graceful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just dropped in his grits. Oh, my. But um, there was something Bruce used to do. And, you know, I had a um, a cable TV show back in the uh, like, like um, late 80s, early 90s out of Atlanta. And Bruce was a guest on there one time. And. People said there was something then about, oh, don't ask him about um, table napkins. He had a thing about table napkins and diners and taking the napkins in and out. Um, (laughs) And I don't know if that was true or or people were just trying to make me nervous about the interview because I was so in awe, you know, that that he had actually agreed to come on the show. And uh, and, and it might have been, um, you know, maybe that was a temporary fetish that he had. Because mm. he could, you know, you do you, you remember his song, Basically Frightened? Capricorn sent me a tape of that to play on my show, so we kept it in rotation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, yeah. That's, that's a classic, you know, that's, um, that kind of gets right to the heart of, like, why table napkins or some other things, because Bruce could look at some, yeah, it, it could become a monster. I mean, he was afraid of, like, it from according to that song, melting food, magazines called oh. digests. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. he was afraid of windmill operators, people who eat tomatoes with hands over yeah. ears, all those yeah. things. <laughs> and, you know, and ointment advertisers. Politicians without hobbies. Oh yeah, yes, that's right. right. Politicians, Politicians without, without hobbies. hobbies. He was <laughs> he was afraid, and of course, bouffants. <laughs> not bouffants. You're not serious. Uh, he, Bruce, Bruce was uh, yeah, his yeah his songs are uh, yeah they still stand the test of time. <laughs> Indeed, they Is, do. Are there any copies of your show of your show with you interviewing uh, Bruce JP? They're, What's if they that? Are, they're, they're down in the basement, and they're all in three-quarter-inch tapes. And so uh, my husband has given me a, an, a a deadline to have them done in six months, get them transferred from three-quarter tapes to um, digital or something. Cause it's, ooh, cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. There seems, yeah. to, be this trove of, there seems to be this trove of stuff that, see, that filters out um, – Periodically, video and stuff from Bruce that um, that you don't that you didn't know existed. I actually have several shows that I recorded from Bruce that haven't been released yet. That I haven't released yet. Um, one of them is uh, Jerry talks about in the book uh, the the iteration of Pharaoh Gummit played at um, they played at this place called the Old Crow in February January of 2011, and that's where I met Bruce. And I actually have video of that show where he's the first time I ever met Bruce at that was uh, at that place. Was that when uh, William was in the band? That's the one with William. Yeah, William, William, Dwayne Trucks, Kevin Scott, and Bruce. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That was the night after um, they came in from Asheville, and they they had their show at the Old Pro. Right. That's, and the story that's goes, a what I from what. 
the story, I think it's in that's, the book. The story is that uh, yeah, William. Yeah, that's like, legendary. Yeah, that's the story that, that William told um, JP that basically um, they're on their way from Asheville. The band, the same four guys that, that Andy mentioned, had played a, a show in Asheville and they were on their way back to Atlanta. And um, and I think that was supposedly the night when Bruce said, all right, the name of our band is going to be Pharaoh Gummit. And <laughs> tomorrow night, and tomorrow night we start playing a regular gig at the Old Crow. And just around that time, there's a they come by a water tower that has like an Old Crow. Um, was that Old Crow whiskey or something? Um, I think so, yeah. Banner. And they just happen to see this as Bruce is talking about this. And it's another one of those uh, weird uh, Bruce uh, synchronicity moments. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, and then and Williams to the next they're coming up. They're coming up 400 to the show, and it's off of exit six. So the exit six was always a big thing for Bruce. That's right. That's right. Six was all, was the magic. One of Bruce's uh, weird numbers. That was the number. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> you know, he Bruce was Bruce was great with numbers, and I think if he, you know. He was, I don't know, I mean, I guess he was one of those guys that if, if he didn't feel like he had to, you know, be an artist, a performing artist, he could have been a mathematician or, I mean, because he was really good with numbers. You know, I mean, uh, somehow, uh, you know, that was one of his, uh, I guess that was one of his skills. And you talked to some of his old friends and they said, oh, yeah, he was always that way. Like he was into baseball statistics and all this stuff that, you know, that, uh yeah, I don't know. It was just the kind of thing that, that he was into and drove him. And <laughs> that's where Bruce and I got on, Andy, is over the baseball stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I I loved, I really liked his band. I mean, I, when I saw Quark Alliance and then um, and then it was Pharaoh Gummit and, and all of that, I loved that. But uh, then I just got to know this whole, you know, he was into all this baseball stuff. He'd ask these questions. You remember this at IHOP as well, but he did that from the moment I knew him. It was like, uh, you know, who did Doc Ellis pitch for the night that he was doing LSD and threw a no hitter? You know, he knew all this stuff. (laughs) 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 I played. I had. I played trivia with Bruce a couple of times. Actually, I got invited to trivia with Bruce. that was where that was one of the places I found out you never you never could tell if he was telling the truth or just making up a big tale. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Because he was he was good at uh, at trivia, but then we always had. Um, I don't know if you ever had a chance to play with Ron Currens. Um, yeah, we was Ron, with Ron. Yeah, Ron, who um, Jennifer, I don't know if you remember, used to publish or an, an edit hitting the note magazine in Atlanta yeah, for a yeah. long time. And, mm-hmm. um, but Ron is a trivia genius and he could hold oh, his own yeah. with Bruce. I, they're, you know, Bruce is legendary for his trivia uh, prowess, but then you get somebody like Ron Currens and you have these two giants. <laughs> giants yeah. of trivia. But uh, you, they always, they almost always won or finished in the top three. 
Yeah, we had one, though. We had one question. The reason I found out, we had one question that had, like, you know, one of those seven answers, right? Yes. And um, and we were, like, sitting there, and we didn't get any of them. We got none of them right. And it was, like, it was just, like, one of those rare times we didn't get anything, even with Ron on the team. And uh, wow. the, next, the, next, the next week, I was with Bruce at a show somewhere, and he says, oh, yeah, we're playing trivia, and, and uh, we had this question. We had, like, ten answers, and we got them all right, didn't we, Estes? And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't argue with him. I was like, I just agreed that we got them all right, man. Like, but that was the moment. That was the moment that I, I already, I already knew that you really didn't. It was like a grain of salt, right? But that was the moment yes. that it really kind of just like, yes, yeah, yes. it was hilarious. Exactly. Well, you know, he was, he was his own best, uh, like P.T. Barnum, you know. And uh, yeah, like, yeah. What was, what was the thing that Dave, uh, Dave Moskowitz? who's a, a really good filmmaker in Atlanta for many years and still, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Dave, how many, much film he's doing, but he's still active, I'm pretty sure. But he knew Bruce forever and, and basically taught Bruce poker. And, um, and yeah. Bruce, you know, was an a- avid poker player. And he loved it. He played, that's one thing he did consistently for, for decades, was he had yeah. his poker nights but Dave used to say, you know, ah, he wasn't as good as he thinks he was for a guy that could guess birthdays or whatever. It was something <laughs> like that. You know, Who said that, like he could guess birthdays. Say again? No, that was Dave, the poker, Dave oh, Moskowitz oh, Dave, said okay, that. All right. The filmmaker. Um, but, he, but, uh, but Bruce, you know, loved to play poker and, um, and also, yeah, tell tall tales. Is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did he have, did Bruce, can either of you tell me a story that Bruce swore was actually true that nobody believed? Um, huh, but that, you know, I could, let's see, one was, well, I'll give you a short one. And Mm -hmm. um, one, well, of course, one was the football one that I told you about already, the football coach. He used to say that, you know, that oh, my grandfather was the head football coach at the University of Georgia and, um, and all this. And, but here's what was weird. He'd say not only that, but he knew Bill Kreutzman. You know, Bill Kreutzman is the founding uh, drummer for the Grateful Dead. Well, he's, this, was how, this was how random it was and why it seemed like BS was, well, my grandfather – knew Bill Kreutzman's grandfather. They were both top football coaches and coached against each other and all this stuff. And um, it was true. It was all act very true. Bill Kreutzman, the drummer for the Grateful Dead's grandfather, was a great college football coach back in 1915 or whenever, this 1919. And, um, and, uh, and so they coached against each other and knew each other. This was all true. But the other um, weird one, it's also college football, football related Bruce was telling this story at lunch about how um um yeah I was I snuck into the uh the Royal Peacock you know in Atlanta back when I was whatever he was 16 or something and uh and I saw and I was there with him he always used to sneak in this is what he said and he said uh I saw Bill Curry you remember him the coach of Georgia Tech well he was Bill Curry was a football player at Georgia Tech and he was somewhere where he probably wasn't supposed to be, but but he says I saw Bill Curry there with his sister, 
and we were watching Jackie Wilson perform at the Royal Peacock. And Bruce told this story at lunch, and that was one of those where one of the guys at lunch was like, yeah, whatever, sure, that was just a tall tale. Well, this guy happened to work at the Georgia State radio station, which broadcast Georgia State football, where Bill Curry was the coach and did a football show, and he happened to walk in one day. And our friend asks Bill, is this true? And Bill thinks for a minute, because this is 50 years later. And he says, hmm, he says, well, it's, part, it's partly true. He says, I was there at the Royal Peacock, but it wasn't with my sister. It's with the woman who is now my wife, and it wasn't Jackie Wilson. It was Jerry Butler, you know, something like that. It was like, holy crap. You know, but Bruce was right. He was there. He just he had just a few minor details off, um, and he saw him. And he says, "And your friend saw me, did he?" <laughs> but Bruce was one of those Bruce lunch stories that turned out to be right. You know, sort of right on. That's so funny. <laughs> By the way, somebody else is trying to come in, and I, um, somebody else is here um, on the line. And could you do me a favor, please? Mr. Jerry Grillo, author of The Music and Mythocracy. Yeah. Colonel Bruce Hampton, basically true biography. Could you just reach over to your right and open the door? Well, no, I meant to get the beaded curtains, but okay. Um, and we'll just welcome. <laughs> welcome to Madame Perry's Salon. Have, Come on in. That did have a very numbing effect. <laughs> Welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Come in. Tell us who you are. Have a good time. Well, hi. This is Ron Currens. Ron! Currens! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my Zambi God! Roll. Zambi Roll. about Zambi you. Roll. Yes, yes. Zambi <laughs> Roll, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad I, uh, glad I reached out to listen to the show. Me too. I'm glad. Me too. And guys, this is Ron Curran's on the phone with us, so please don't ask him why he didn't bring liquor or anything. They've been they've been jonesing for some free liquor from the <laughs> listeners. Okay. <laughs> Ron is Ron is I I came up with my own little thing was um after uh, voting for Bruce a couple of times in trivia when we should have gone with Ron it was like. Don't second guess the Ron, because there were a couple of times that it meant the difference between, you know, win, place, or show, that kind of thing. Well, I sure do no miss doubt. those uh, trivia sessions. <laughs> yeah. I remember, well, Ron, I remember, Ron, I don't know if, if you remember the time whenever the, the uh, trivia is the same one with the, the big question, but you uh, rattled off the periodic table, man. I was like, how does anybody have all that in their head, man? <laughs> Who did that? Ron, did you do that? Ron did. Ron did. Ron, was that the uh, Tom Lehrer? Well, we played trivia once or twice a week for quite some time. And mm-hmm. I discovered during our trivia games that I have a lot of information rattling around my umpty skull. (laughs) (laughs) And somehow you're able to conjure it. From time to time, I got lucky, yeah. (laughs) Um, um, You knew Bruce. You knew Bruce. I mean, you saw Bruce's bands 
you saw Bruce's earliest bands, basically. You saw the Hampton Grease band. Uh, many times. Well, many times. I saw, them at, uh, I saw them at uh, Piedmont Park. Uh, I saw them uh, at Atlanta Missile Auditorium. And I famously saw them at uh, 12th Gate, a coffee house over on 10th Street. They were, <laughs> they were mind-blowing. Well, that's the thing I forgot to add before is that they started that free, the free concerts in Piedmont Park when Glenn Phillips brought his clock radio down to um, an outlet at Piedmont Park and realized they had some juice and thought, hey, let's put on a show. And, and they, got, they started a, a movement, basically, and they brought no less than the Allman Brothers and you know, Grateful Dead and others to that park at at some point after. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, unbelievable. The the People's Park and the free concerts on Sundays. That. What do you remember about Bruce at that time? What was Bruce's um, persona, his stage? What was he like as an artist, a performing artist? He was unique. He was uh, into performance. Uh, as as much or even more than the music. I remember that um, he used to do amazing vocals, um, but also from time to time he would pick up an instrument that he couldn't play. Uh, for instance, uh, I, I remember him playing what he called bad saxophone, <laughs> where he would he would pick up pick up the instrument and make honking noises on it. <laughs> I remember I didn't I didn't even see Bruce play uh any instrument for the first two or three times I saw him and then he picked up a guitar and by the time I got to know him he actually was a pretty good guitar player. And I was he actually did uh, become amazed. quite a quite a guitar player. Um but he played the guitar as if it were a mandolin. Right. <laughs> Just, just a unique in every way. I mean, he, his approach is. Um, uh, you're right. I mean, and I loved. Uh, you know, you talk to the guys in his band, and he would, and Bruce would tell you, "I'm the world's worst guitar player." And and then some nights he would sound like that, and that same night he would do just the opposite. It would be like, where, yeah. you know, okay, so he he's become, yeah, BB King with a mandolin or whatever, just incredible uh, notes and and heartfelt and uh, I don't know, just really re- real stuff. Bruce's real stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah. By the way, Ron Kearns has left the genie bottle. You may know this, but if not, I think you should know that on his Facebook page, his banner is the cover of your book. And by the way, so you should you should thank Ron Currens for doing that promo for you before you start asking. I totally oh, thank look, Ron Currens. That, 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 hey, Ron and and Andy Back. both did have been real kind about sharing some information about the book. I mean, just incredibly kind. I owe these I owe these men a great deal more a great deal more than I could give them. But hey, I owe I owe. It's off to work I go. <laughs> no, these. These are, these, are, say, these are brothers. 
these are brothers from didn't another say, mother. Didn't you say my check was in the mail? Yes, it's always been. I told you though. I told you my mail about my mailman that he's um, you know he he has a hard time getting from point A to point to point B. So he'll get there eventually. And you know this gets back oh, wait, to this gets back on to Lewis Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> Bruce is a people connector, and um, mm-hmm. and these are two these are two friends that I've met uh, through Bruce, and. Um, and you know they that's a, that's an important thing but he that's one of that was another one of his superpowers bruce was a true people connector and uh, that was yeah. that was important to him i think yeah, he was a people collector and i got collected oh, yeah. yeah he a people collector as well yes indeed he he did i think he truly did know 4% of the world i mean he he just had a he knew people and they and they all and they loved him and uh you know everybody felt special i think too you know you you meet a lot of people who felt like they were his best friend yeah he i certainly felt that, that way yeah, he he, made get, he had a gift he made you feel uncomfortably comfortable <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but not numb. But but, but Ron, um, you saw. Uh, I mean, if everybody here on this call now, though, Ron saw different every variation of Bruce's band, and um, we had talked about this before. But I, I'd love to hear this. You saw ARU, you know, his best band at all of its incarnations. I did. Yes, and uh, I I recorded most of the shows that I went to. In fact, I maybe even recorded all the shows I went to. Um, the uh, there's a very interesting period in uh, Bruce's life. Um, it all began with the uh, the Stained Souls. That was a uh, a group that I think it was the only band that Bruce was in that never visited a recording studio. There is none of their music available um except for the tapes that I, I recorded live. Um, wow. and uh the Stained Souls was uh Tinsley Ellis on guitar with Bruce. Bruce was on the Mandola then that was predated the Chazoid. Um and on uh, bass was LA Tootin and Walter Brewer on drums. It was a four pace four person band. Uh, it was important in both Bruce's development and Tinsley's development. Uh, Bruce uh, was fresh off of uh, uh, the Ice Age and the Bronze Age, and uh, he was looking to explore music that was further in than out. Um, and meanwhile, Tinsley was... Um, recovering from a, a personal tragedy, and uh, it gave him an outlet to play without any pressure at all. And uh, the the two of them simply uh, explored music that was so important uh, in, in their formation. Um, and the Stained Souls played uh, Little Five Points Pub and uh, The Point 
frequently. Um, and as as they uh, as they began to play, that was when Bruce reached out to uh, uh, Jeff Seip, uh who was uh, instrumental in uh, the early formation of the ARU. Um, and it was Jeff who brought in uh, O'Teal and uh, and Charlie 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 Williams. Um, but uh, as O'Teal says in basically frightened, uh, they they uh, played each week at the same venue, but using a different name. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but the, the, in that time that they were playing down in Little Five Points, I was living in Little Five Points, but I didn't have any money. So I was hanging out at the yacht club, throwing darts and playing beer, and was right there next to them and and never saw them. I never saw them, and I was right there the whole time. But I always said that it wasn't meant for me to meet Bruce at that point in time because it would have been a different it would have been a different right. friendship if it had been that time. That's yeah. right. <laughs> By the way, um, I, I'm going, guys. This is, you just made this so much fun. I'm so grateful to have Jerry Grillo, author of the Music and Mythocracy of Colonel Bruce Hampton, uh, a basically true biography, uh, with me tonight. It's available on G, uh, GSU Press or from GSU Press, but you can get it anywhere you get good books. There's even a, uh, uh, it's a notice on uh, Ron Curran's page. Looking at the corner, there's even a quote from uh, Billy Bob Thornton on the cover of the book. And also, um, if anyone is enjoying the show, please share it with friends. It's also, after tonight, will be available on Spotify and iHeartRadio and probably a lot of people that are making money off of me that I'll never see. See, you can't blame that on, on Lewis. Now, now not getting Ron's check, I blame that on damn Lewis DeJoy, okay? And especially if you were mailing him some of those, that, that beef you were talking about or some... Um, Hamburger meat you got played in your tacos, um, yeah, that's that's not going to get there either. But uh, please, I just saw that Andy Estes, who's on the line, he's called in, and help me with these names, folks. I don't want to pronounce anything incorrect. Andy Estes, Helen Lang, and Susan or Suzanne Morton have all liked the Madam Perry Salon page here, which means that you're going to always be one of the first people to know when I have people on. That are cool, like tonight, Jerry Grill. Well, hell, all my guests, all my guests, are good guests, are cool people. So, um, but you'll know ahead of time. So you can plan, get your questions ready, and your drinks, drink orders ready. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I have kept, and and you guys have been so. I am so grateful to you, and also to Brenda and Dave Morris out there. Say hello to them. Because uh, Brenda is the one that brought Jerry to me, and uh, said you got to get this guy on your show. Said, Thanks, Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, Dave. They're the cutest couple. And um, and, thank and you I guys. have I have kept Jerry here a lot longer than I promised him. I don't, and I never want to make anybody significant other unhappy with me, so I'm going to have to let him go back. But Ron and, and uh, Andy and Jerry, please don't be a stranger to the show uh, anytime. And thanks, thanks, JP. 
and you can get the book. And also, as I always say, uh, for for the people who listen, they tell me they listen when they're driving or when they're running or exercising uh, and can't write this down. I will be sharing on all of my social media for uh, Madam Perry's salon, as well as Jennifer Maudette Perry on how to get a copy of this magnificent book about a stellar, talented man that we were graced with for, what, 70 years in this life? Yes. In this state. Uh, there's nobody whose life is was, was untouched. And uh, I have heard other stories, too, that I that from uh, from my husband and his friends I share. So we were all, Grace, call it zombie or whatever. We are grateful that we did have Colonel Bruce Hampton here and that we still have uh, recordings and videos and so forth. And I am grateful for all of you guys. And although I don't have permission to play Bruce's music on here, so I'll have to play Mine, everybody's got to swing, and I think you're all wonderful. And this is Madam Curious Salon saying thank you for yourself. I love you. Thank you.